Hello and welcome to the Winners Never Quit podcast, all about mental resilience, embracing hardship, learning from it, all to build a winner's mindset. Hosted by myself, Jack Jarvis. If you could like, follow, subscribe to the podcast, I would really, really appreciate it. Today, I am joined by my good friend and high-performance coach, Louis Plumridge, aka Plum. Me and Plum served together in 5-9 Commando in his 13 years of service. He has deployed overseas in combat, humanitarian and peacekeeping environments. He also spent two years on the commando training team where we met, much to my uh, pleasure and enjoyment. And this is also where he discovered his passion for coaching. Since leaving the army, he has continued coaching, working as the strength and conditioning coach for Dorking Wanderers Football Club and WBC international champion Dennis McCann. And he joins me now. Hello, Plum. Welcome, mate. How's it going? Hello, buddy. Yeah, I'm good. How are you? Yeah, really good, mate. It's good to have you on. Um, we've got a lot to catch up on, mate, because I haven't seen you for a while. Uh, but let's start the podcast as we always do. How do you define winning in your life? So for me, winning is constantly striving for excellence and never putting a ceiling on what you can achieve. So having that growth mindset and just like believing the sky's the limit. And I think if you're constantly chasing growth you'll consistently be winning. There'll be many failures and setbacks along the way, but it's how you deal with that and how you go above and beyond to constantly improve that I think defines a true winner. Oh, so I do agree with you, and I think growth is a is a good example, but when you say growth, what do you mean in a physical performance standpoint, or do you mean you know maybe academia or, or business? How do you define growth? Um, or it can be connect with all three of those things. I think it's and more. whatever's relevant to what you're pursuing at the time. Yeah. So I, I I used to believe that we could push the ceiling on everything all at once. Um, and what I, I recently discovered is actually by by striving for everything, we become suboptimal in everything. Yeah. So actually, I, 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 I'm now more of the mindset of going all in in one aspect, maintaining in another, and then minoring in another. So uh, a, a phrase I heard was major, maintain and minor. So we major somewhere and that's that's what we're pushing. That could be for an undetermined amount of time, whatever's needed. And then we maintain in whatever our secondary thing is. And then we minor in the, in the final aspect that we want to kind of just like still tick along with, but not necessarily push the ceiling off. So to make that more specific, um, right now I'm majoring in business maintaining in family yeah minoring in my own not having any more kids training. no, <laughs> no more, more kids, kids. Mate. <laughs> done but just in terms of like spending time with the family yeah um there's been times where that was actually a back burner like that was a sacrifice I, I chose to make where i would purposely let that go down yeah um while driving maybe my own performance and maintaining business so like they're my three areas that i i constantly go around different cycles in uh business family and my own performance something i didn't say in your introduction right was recent when when was the tire flip september last year so right plum and a mate of ours who we used to serve with uh they flipped a tire for a marathon it was 70 kilos wasn't it yeah yeah it's 74 74 kilos and i like so you've recently said you can't push you because you really big believer in big scary goals and we'll, we'll talk about that in a sec but you can't set another physical goal while you're still growing your business can you like and this and that's sort of what you mean yeah yeah so I thought I could yeah um and maybe some people can but I've I've discovered for myself I can't 
so so right now like my training is just an, at an enjoyment level business is the primary focus um and then and then family is something that i like just maintain so that that stays on that consistent bracket where i'll be scheduling time every day to do something with the family whereas when i was training for the tire flip um i would like have to drag the family along for a tire flip session um to get time with them because yeah. the training like the weekly training load was so high alongside recently leaving the military that I just like something had to give and, and that's what I decided that was a sacrifice I chose to make I've definitely noticed so I'm training training for an ultra as you know and I've noticed now as the, as the distances you can't you can't squeeze in a 50k no <laughs> like it's it, it's 50k it takes five hours it's the prep before and you know especially if you're going to do it like one way and then train back like you, you literally can't something's got to give yeah um right so you spoke about talking like leaving the military let's try and let's go back to that so a few people that especially are my peer group myself i'm getting out so the catalyst you what was the catalyst for you leaving and then how was that first sort of transition you know finding your feet you know people maybe that aren't from a military background don't realize like how secure a military job mm. is so what was the catalyst and then how was that first that transition out of the military it's funny actually, because coming into camp today, I was speaking to the lady and I said to her, lads don't realise how easy they've got it when they're in. Don't regret my decision to leave. Absolutely love it. But how secure and how easy life is on the inside yeah. is something that you take for granted when you're in it. Mate, when we're sat here at like two o'clock yeah. recording a podcast. Yeah, mental. <laughs> um, so the on catalyst... a Saturday though, boss, if you're listening. <laughs> um, so the catalyst, I, I became a sergeant. Um love like I, my career was so fulfilling like the lads the deployments everything i did w was class everyone that knows me will know that like i i loved my job um became a sergeant behind a desk decided to leave the commando unit and go to a unit closer to home because me and the missus decided to, uh, we were gonna have a family and i wanted to be a dad that was around as opposed to a dad that was deployed all the time um and then I planned on doing three years at my unit close to home, which is Maidstone. And then a couple of months in, job fulfillment just wasn't there. I literally despised it. And I was like, this this is me, I'm done. Um, what I, job were you doing? I was troop sergeant. Troop sergeant, um, yeah. Yeah, in uh, 20 field squadron. And I, ju I just thought like, I back myself to make shit work. I, I know that regardless of what I'm doing, I can succeed in it. Like I just backed myself. Um, and I just thought, like, that's it. Like, signing off. I'll make it work. And then, yeah, I haven't looked back. Your plan changed. Like, what what did you think you were going to do when you get out? And how did that evolve? Yeah, so I was going to open a CrossFit gym. Um, that was kind of a dream. Like, I was an avid CrossFitter for, pff, must be close to 10 years. Um, you were pretty average. Pretty, yeah. <laughs> no, I was, you I was average, but I was avid. No, you were pretty. No, you were pretty good. Like, you know, back you in were, the day, back in the day, you could yeah, mix it. You know, yeah, yeah, but yeah. I, I got into it early, so obviously, when you're in in a new sport, you can be quite good quite quick. Um, when you when we had a good base level of fitness anyway, just from being yeah, in the squadron. Yeah. Um, whereas now, like hybrid athlete, yeah, like yeah, all that stuff. Going to open a CrossFit gym, live the dream. Like on paper, it sounds like the dream job. And then the more I dug into the weeds of it, it was like, actually, like, this isn't what I want. Um, I can have more of an impact, more fulfillment through just coaching without owning a facility. So then I decided to just be a, a coach um, rather than a facility owner. And then things evolve and develop. And I'm like on about the eighth iteration of my business now. 
Well, mate, amazing. Um, what was your first experience of coaching? What made you fall in love with it? So the first, what, the first experience, like as in all the way back on the training team. Yeah, yeah, first, first in the life experience. Yeah, okay. Where um, we met. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, the training team. Um, so I did my PTI course at 19 years old, and then went on the training team at 20. Spent a couple of years there, and was just lucky to have a great mentor in Stan. Um, Do you still speak to Stan? Infrequently, yeah. but yeah, st- still in comms, just not, just not consistent. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like, you know, you know it is. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and yeah, so having him as as a mentor, as a young coach, was like priceless. Mm. And so he kind of set the standard, and then drove those stand- standards onto us. And then like, we're just constantly growing and becoming a better coach, like literally every day, because I'd I'd deliver a circuit and he'd watch it. Um, behind the scenes and then debrief me afterwards on why it was shit and like, I thought I was a legend and yeah, just yeah. get ripped apart and I'd be like alright yeah okay yeah cheers <laughs> yeah cheers um, and then like but then seeing someone that couldn't climb a rope and then eight weeks later watching them get to the top of a rope with kit on was like that process was just like so fulfilling yeah um, and it was the first time I'd really been in a leadership position because I did my Lance Corporal course while I was on the training team. Um, so like that was the first time I was actually in a leadership role, like throwing the deep end. And then from there, like I just got addicted to it. So in my spare time, I'd be reading and watching everything I could to do with nutrition, to do with mindset, to do with strength conditioning. And obviously now we're talking 2010. So even then, like social media and YouTube is in a bit of its infancy. Inf- Infancy. So, like, there's no, the names that we hear now weren't really around back then. Yeah. So it was, it was like reading blog posts and, and and stuff like that, which which was class. Um, and like still to this day, I refer back to some of the stuff I learnt back then. Um, and then obviously when that come to an end, then I went back into the squadron and then over to Recce Troop. Like, I was still coaching in my spare time, just friends and like mm. just off the cuff stuff. It never left me. And then like it just that just felt like the natural progression from getting out. Like I need, I knew I was going to be in coaching because it was just something I loved like deeply. So me and Plum met, it would have been the start of 2012. Mm-hmm. You probably don't remember it. Everyone would have known you that you've taken, like you took through the commando course. Yeah. Like everyone would know you, but you won't remember them. You just, in Plum's position, he's just, I was just another face. Cause I'd bump into lads like uh, other units and stuff like that. And they go, Oh, you're a corporal. And I'm like, Oh, you're right, mate. Like, <laughs> you know, you get 45 blokes, and of course, you don't remember everyone. Yeah. You know, I thought you were very professional, not just saying that because you're here, but you're also, I'm not going to lie, mate, you're an absolute animal. <laughs> <laughs> like, some of the thrashings that you gave out were were top notch. But I know exactly what you mean there with the coaching, you know, doing 2324 training at Chatham. And when you get people that can't climb a rope, and it'd be weird, like, there'd, there'd just be some guys, wouldn't there, that would get it in a session. But yeah. then there'll be other guys that would need that coaching. And it is it is addictive, you're right. And when you can't teach one, did you feel like it was almost like, you, I don't know. You like it personally. Yeah, I took it personally. Yeah. Like, are you still like that now? You know, do you have that level of investment that, you know, I'm, I'm guessing you do. Yeah, um, so, so that, the self-awareness there is something yeah. that I work on a lot because um, working with people now and I'm, I'm still equally as invested in the goals yeah, yeah. As, I, as I was all the way back then, helping lads get the green lid. Um and then if someone doesn't succeed, you like you take that as in like on you. 
but it's it's learning and understanding that process in as to like reflecting on why they failed yeah. and then like did I do everything I could did I coach them to the best of my ability uh, if I can answer that as yes then it's it's not necessarily a me problem um but I'd still take that as a learning point on okay well where did it go wrong why did it go wrong what can I do better next time like I'll have that reflection like that's something I do regularly anyway yeah um but I'll do it specifically on a person if they fail something that they set out to do that I was helping them I was help coaching them for final thing on the training team like just think about that like Russ Jez Stan yeah. Rob that was a good training yeah. team wasn't it like when you look back it was really good um you talk about their you know Lucian and stuff like this and different parts of your business how did the business evolve what was like the first sort of big change because I'm guessing you just sort of come out you were coaching multiple people what what was the change what was the catalyst for that I, I, I attra- this is going to sound a bit dickheadish, but I attracted high-level people from the start. Always wanted to coach high-level athletes. Yeah, yeah. In my head, that's what I wanted. Um, and I spoke to people about that. I voiced that. All of a sudden, they, they, they came my way. Yeah. And I didn't do anything for it. They just approached me. So the lads that I served with, um, they, they first approached me. Um, like, they're now SF lads. And that was quite humbling, but I already had the previous trust built from them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But then I had, like, GB ice hockey players, uh, like, youth players, female international rugby players. Like, all of a sudden, they were coming out of the woodwork and wanted coaching from me. And it was, like, massive imposter syndrome. Like, well, why me? Like, I've, yeah, done, yeah, I've yeah. done nothing to deserve this. Yeah. Like, I don't know why they want me to coach them. But just, like... like you, sorry, just to give some context. When he says like, SF, he means soldiers that are going on UK Special Forces Selection... That's either for the special air service or the special boat service. So I can fully understand why they would approach you. You're a subject matter expert in all that sort of stuff, especially like commando. But I can totally understand why you were like rugby. You're a football player. Yeah. Like, what do you know about rugby? Yeah. No, and I don't mean yeah, that yeah, offensively. Yeah. So I can, well, so how does that come about? Yeah. So like principles stay the same. Like, and all you do is you adapt it to to the situation and to the needs. Yeah. So it's almost like a needs analysis of the sport, like understanding the demands of it so all i'd done was um i i so when i when i took on so I, I took them on i was like well yeah i coach you like i was i was open and transparent about my knowledge on it i was like yeah I'm, like i'm happy to do it um they agreed and then all i'd done was then i would then go all in on learning about the sport the demands of the sport so i'd message friends who were either into ice hockey or into rugby or, or whatever it may be swimming was another one um and I'll just ask them to highlight the best in the sport, who like who they know in the world, like who's the best at that sport in the world. And then I'll just take a deep dive and learn anything I can about that athlete in that position, what they do, what their training looks like. Just to get an understanding of, of like the demands. And to be honest, I overcomplicated it massively. Like yeah. Now, knowing what I know now, I would have simplified the whole process back then um, and just particularly with youth athletes, um, I've always taken a, a, a cautious approach anyway. But like massively simplify where you're starting with them and then just take them through a slow progression and then just, just periodize what they're plum. doing. So you're, sorry, youth, are we talking like teenager, like sort of 12, 13? Uh, so I, I coached a, a 13-year-old swimmer, um, but the, the rugby girl specifically, she was 15, and I coached her through to 17. Um, and she's now on uh, Harlequins. She's now in the Harlequin women's squad. And oh, amazing. England under 21s, I believe. Yeah. Um, yeah, like beast. 
But again, all these people I coach, the the common denominator with them, extremely high work ethic, yeah, extremely high potential. Like, and all I'm doing is giving them the pathway to harness what they're fucking already awesome at and just like make them better. Um, I, I see it, I view it as like, I don't really do a lot because they've already got the potential, they've already got the talent. Anyone with any level of strength conditioning could do the same. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's nothing special about what I've done with them. Like, I'm just lucky to be, like same as Dennis, like grafter, like loads of talent. All I do is just put him on the right path to make sure that he trains the right way. Any strength conditioning coach that knows what they're doing could do yeah. the same thing. Like, there's nothing special about what I do. There's no secret. Work will outperform talent, and I totally agree with that. Like you said, you're one of the, probably the luckiest strength conditioning coach because yeah. you, you've got those people that are happy to work hard. And not only that, you know, they've got a talent. A, I don't know if I really agree with, like, natural. Like mm. natural. Have you read the book Bounce? Uh, yeah. Or do you, yeah, and I, yeah, I listened to that on my row. Mm. And it's so true. Like, I always think... You know, because a lot of my mates, they think, oh, natural-born talent. And I look at the best player in our youth team, and uh, he was always the best. You know, when we mm. started, like, under sixes, he was world-class. Well, he wasn't world-class, but yeah, do you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, yeah. But why was he world-class? He'd already done a year with yeah. his older brother. Who, his brother was a year older than him, so he'd already played football for a year. He lived opposite a green. Like, his house was literally, you cross the road, there's mm. a big green. So he's playing football. And then look at me. And why wasn't I maybe, like, the most naturally gifted? because I lived in a pub we didn't have a garden yeah you know I didn't practice yeah you know and so it's not hard work it's well yeah it is hard work it's not like talent mm. do you know what I mean so I really yeah, agree I, with that yeah, so I think there's there, there are two things I'm thinking here so the first one like, is just making me think of Dennis he left school and went full time into boxing I think when he was 11 yeah <laughs> right so and then so then turn pro 18 he's now 21 and his trajectory his trajectory is ridiculous yeah um for anyone to mimic that, they've got to get like so. He had ten years full time boxing. Yeah. By the time he was, was twenty-one, his dad a boxer by any chance? Or I don't think no, so. no. Um, but yeah, like, but he he was getting the train to to rep in like one of the most reputable boxing gyms yeah. in the country um, at eleven on his own, like just mental. Yeah. For anybody else to replicate his career. They've got to leave school at 10, 11 years old and go yeah. full time. Yeah. Like, it's just, like, it's uh, like improbable <laughs> that it's going to happen. Yeah. Um, but the other thing is, like, genetically. So, talent, Gen- yeah. So, talent, yeah, like, talent. talent I always is, say this. So, my nan always goes, oh, you can do whatever you want. I say, Grandma, if you're born five foot two, you're probably never going to win the world's strongest man. Yeah. You yeah, know? Yeah. yeah, yeah. And it's true. Like, yeah. unfortunately, no matter how hard you work, you've been dealt a hand where you're five foot two. Yeah. You know? But sorry, you, you yeah. and I, I interrupted no, that. No, but mate, it's pretty much exactly what you're saying there. Like genetically, some people are, are built towards a certain way. Yeah. And then if you can harness your work ethic and talent towards that way that you're genetically gifted, then you can become maybe one of the top 0.1%. Yeah. Um, so like Michael Michael Phelps is another good example. Yeah. yeah. He's, he is the perfect physique for swimming. Yeah. Add on top of that, his work ethic. Yeah. You know. Like even if I, even if I worked as hard as him, and we had exactly the same life. I'm five for eight. Yeah. I haven't got a chance. Yeah. You know? Um, I bet so you're that, gutted you're not an inch, short, <laughs> uh, an inch taller, aren't you? <laughs> five for nine. Yeah. Um, yeah, I might just tell people I am. <laughs> oh, mate, the hair now, <laughs> mate. It's exactly. Last time I see, well, no, actually, that's a lie. When me and Plum obviously worked together, he had like really short hair. 
and now he's got like this absolute mane, mate. I yeah. don't know. I like, mate. I do. It's are you, you're winning me over with it, mate. You're winning me <laughs> over with it. It's all right. He messaged me the other day saying that I look better with short hair. And I don't know. Just that in that WhatsApp picture with you, is your son in it? Yeah. In that picture, I don't know. You look. I think you look pretty yeah. good, mate. A bit of a man crush. Yeah, that was when I first got out, and I yeah. had, a, had a photo shoot done for the for the new business launch. Um, obviously, short hair was still the same as yeah. when I was in. But so the modelling career never worked out then, no? No. No. Never, never got off the ground. No. <laughs> right, sorry. So when we talk about modelling, right, yes. Um, so talking, mm. how did this come about, mate? Because that's pretty cool. So. Oh, yeah. Because um, so you're a big footy fan as well, yeah, aren't you? Big, big footy fan. So Unfortunately, big, Sports United. But, yeah. You know. We won't talk about that. <laughs> so, so Dorking, um I've set a British record this like well, last season for the most promotions in the shortest amount of time in, in British football. They have. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. So twelve promotions in twenty two years. So it was it was a basically a, like a pub team. Yeah. Where you pay fifty quid a week to rent a pitch and do all that stuff. Um, like all the way through to now in the national league, um, competing against like the likes of Chesterfield, Oldham, like, yeah. all these well established teams. Um, and yeah, little Dawkins come from nothing. Um. All credit due to the to the manager and owner Mark, but yes, yeah, so that come about. Sorry, is is Mark the manager or he's all is manager owner chairman? Oh wow! He f- he founded the club in '99, taking it all the way through now and still managing. Um, wow! Just YouTube the guy, YouTube bunch of amateurs, um, and there's a whole like YouTube documentary on him, and they're just it's just a phenomenal story. Um, so yeah, the the captain of Dorking is from my hometown. And we have a mutual friend. I was assisting this mutual friend's manager of uh, a football, a local football club. I was assisting him with their pre-season work. Um, and he he basically just said to, to Baz, the captain of Dorking, um, about me. And Baz like, yeah, we need him. Let me get in touch with the gaffer. Connected us both. We spoke. I went up there for a meeting. and uh, is And the gaffer was just like, yeah, I need you in the club. Um, that was last pre-season and then yeah been there since so how how did that conversation go how did you sell yourself to the club because mate that sounds like a pretty alley job mate yeah. like you know somebody's getting out tell me the trade secrets <laughs> yeah um, like I, what was your vision like what so what were they doing maybe wrong what did you want to change so I don't have a degree in strength conditioning no I don't have a UK SCA whatever it is um so I'm not in the UK strength conditioning circles. I'm not yeah. in the clicky circles. My coaching ability and experience has come from my background. Yeah. And Years of the cold face. Yeah. And um, having a high performance mindset, having high standards from the squadron, the stuff that you learn in the squadron, like where the high standards just become the norm. Like that's just how I, I roll. That's just how I live my life. I often get like, how you know, how did you keep going and you know, stuff in the row and I, People used to say, like, Jack, you got no like ocean experience. You've never been sailing, yeah. never been rowing. I said, yeah, but don't because like my mindset that we talk about it, it used to be ruthless, didn't it? Yeah, it did. Used to be ruthless. Yeah. I'll tell this story because I love it, mate. Right. So the day I walked into the office, so at this point, when I hadn't passed around, of course, I was untrained. Right. So when you walked into the office, you had to take your blueberry off. You weren't allowed. And I think it was like fifty nine press ups. Anyway, yeah. so we walk in, and uh, there was three of us: me, Jack Hewitt, a lad called Stedman. And and Plum comes up and I'm obviously like terrified. <laughs> and he's like, right, you know, sort of goes down the line. I was the last time. So he's like, right, so what do, what do you want to go to for? I was like, 
what do you want to play? I was like, oh, my dad was in, you know, and like, my godfather's in, so, you know, that's what I'm in. He's like, all right, yeah. And he looks at me like, stern-faced, no, absolutely no emotion, like, no hint of a joke. He's like, yeah, all right. Um, well, uh, we've just had the uh, Sergeant Major Sundown, and he was fucking dog shit. <laughs> so we don't expect a great deal from you, mate. <laughs> and I was just like, ah, thank you. <laughs> can I leave now? <laughs> I, did, I wouldn't have said thank you or can I leave. I probably just stood there just like that. Just, nodded just giggled yeah but no yeah. I loved it you know yeah. like people you know people might say oh what like no it was that dog eat dog you know like we said you know if you went on course you didn't come top of the course mm. you got tanked yeah. like it wasn't it wasn't like a big chuck up oh we'll go out for beers oh what you come top yeah nice one on to the next thing and that's that's where that mindset you know the like striving for excellence yeah. mindset comes yeah, from exactly. so yeah go on sorry so, you then, so so we had, we had a call first and then then it was an in-person meet um and i basically just like just spoke about what i could do yeah. like i didn't i i didn't talk about what they were doing wrong i didn't talk about what other people would do because i didn't know like yeah. I, I, I had no idea how other people in my position would operate in that role um so i just spoke open and honestly about um high performance mindset about like the strength conditioning protocols that i do like a recovery focused training program and all, all this stuff and uh he just buzzed off it he said i get so many people because of his popularity and because of um like his presence on um social media and youtube and stuff um he gets a lot of people inquire about coming to work there coaches coaches yeah. and the rest of it and he said like he just mugs them all off he said he doesn't want to hear it because they all talk the same jargon all, all talk the same crap and he said and, and you just you were just different um, but I wasn't intentionally different. I just, I was just honest. Um, I, in all honesty, I was a bit naive to actually how popular the club was. Um, and then when I went up there, we basically had the same conversation and he asked me what I would need in terms of like kit and logistics, I told him, and then he bought it all and then I rocked up and that like, yeah, haven't looked back since. It's strange because I know you haven't got anything to compare it to because you've only worked at, um, mm-hmm one football club talking but what is their setup like is it good because I know people me included Vanarama, it's Vanarama National League isn't yeah. it yeah what is what is the setup like is it would expect maybe a, like a championship prem club or you know no, no. so it, it, where, where the growth's been so fast um, the club the club's playing catch up um, got a great ground 3G pitch um, no gym facility it's just so everything everything is kind of like pitch based um part-time club whereas I think pretty much everyone else in the National League is full-time um, which, which is a disadvantage but like we're just looking for marginal gains in, yeah, yeah, in yeah. things that we do um, but yeah no the set the setup's quality for the situation that we're in yeah, yeah. if you to, to compare us to Championship and Premier League clubs like nine yeah, days, n- miles off yeah what are the challenges with working with like part-time athletes rather than you know, like you said, Dennis mm. McCann, who's full time. Yeah, um, stress of their life and yeah. their job. So, like the benefits of Dennis is that he doesn't have a day job to stress him out. Like his day job is to train. So therefore, like he doesn't have, oh, I've got to get this project done in, by this date. I've got to get this done by this. Like he doesn't have all this external stuff. So he can, because the body, the stress is stress, right? The body can't determine whether it's physical stress, physiological stress. It's yeah. just stress. Um, that we need to kind of like adapt to to reach a homeostasis to adapt and grow and develop and so with these guys like a lot of them have 
really successful careers outside of football, um, whether it's office jobs or, or whatever, whether in businesses. So they're basically doing two things. They're, they're playing yeah, yeah, football yeah. at an extremely high level while working in their day job at an extremely high, high level. And you throw a wife and kids on top of that and like you've got all these stresses and then when it comes to training and I'm asking them to do this extra stuff in their own time, like it's their time management has to be on point, their yeah. recovery management has to be on point, their communications with me has to be on point. And it's just, whereas if their job was to play football, they'd rock up, I'd coach them, we'd feed them, I'd recover them, like yeah. all that stuff. They'd go home, spend time with their family, good night's sleep, back in the next day, same thing again. So that that's the challenge. Yeah. Um, but it's also like that underdog mentality and I think it gives you that additional 10% like knowing your back's up against the wall. Mate, 100%, I totally agree with you mm. on that. Um, you touched on sort of like part-time athlete and, you know, stuff like that. What would be your advice to someone that's training for Because a lot of people that are going to be listening to this aren't probably going to be professional athletes. What would be your like one really like best bit of advice for someone that's, you know, maybe a bit of stress at work, but training for something to try and manage that? What, what would you say? What's your golden nugget as such? Understand your sacrifices first. So prior to committing to any event, big goal, challenge, whatever, understand what needs to be sacrificed first. Yeah. Then accept whether you want to sacrifice those things, whether that's stag do's, weddings, nights on the piss, stand up late, binge watching YouTube episodes, food you eat. It's like your uh, post the other day, yeah. the reunion, you know. Yeah, 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 exactly. Um, but yeah, that was You can't function. do it all. No, but it's like you need to understand first, right? So what is the training demand required of me? what do I need to sacrifice in order to commit to that training demand? Am I willing to accept that? It's a yes or no answer. It's not a maybe. A maybe is a no. Yeah. You know, so it's a yes or no. And if, if you can, then it's like, right, okay. So then when you get faced with a, a hurdle and like one option is training and the other option is something else, it's an easy decision, you're training, you know? Like, when when you have that set and you can make those decisions, like, it might be that you've got to get up at 5 a.m. every day to yeah. get your training in so you can have breakfast with the kids before you go to work yeah, and yeah, then yeah. blah, 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 blah. Um, so I think when you understand that and then, so first is sacrifices and the second thing would be your, your recovery. Yeah. Like, food and sleep focused. Like, that's where you need to focus your time because your recovery efforts will have to be significantly higher than someone that has all the time in the world. Yeah. Because it, it's, it's our food, it's our water, it's our sleep that's going to help us recover faster for the day-to-day -day efforts we need to put in across work, family, and training. And I see, you know what you said about training early in the morning, right? That would be one of, I don't know if it would be my biggest bit of advice. If, if When you get it done, like, have you read uh, Nims's book or watched his documentary? Uh sound bad no no if you've not watched either oh, or no. no don't worry mate it's, it's on the list i hey, i sound like such a book like worm at the minute because i've just yeah. got back from the road listened to like 27 books i'm like oh yeah have you read this i'll just listen to them mate yeah. but uh he says a brilliant saying he's like if you've got one if your job's to eat a frog a day do it first thing mm. and if it's your job's to eat two frogs a day eat the biggest one first and i don't i think training in the morning getting it done and winning the morning is so underestimated mm -hmm. because we all train this morning because you were coming and you know like I wanted, didn't want to be like feel any pressure but I always think if you train first thing and you have a car crash of a day at least you've trained yeah it doesn't have to be training like so my Duolingo as well that is something I really struggle to do because I 
it's not my thing. Like my thing is being physical. Yeah. But if I do it in the morning, even if I go, oh, no, at least did twenty minutes of Duolingo, you know, mm. you know what I mean. I really think that's like underestimated. Yeah. So, so for me, like this is where the the major maintainer minor comes in because the first thing in the morning would be the thing that you're majoring. Yeah, in. yeah, yeah. However, that said, um, what I found personally is when I'm weight cutting, so whenever I put myself in a calorie deficit to drop body weight, if I train in the morning. My appetite is spacked all day and yeah. staying in a deficit is tough. So what I find is rather than rather than training first thing, I have to prioritize a, a, a period later in the day where I'm going to train. And like that has to be non-negotiable. Training is really easy for me to, to mug off later on in the day when I'm in a, when I'm majoring in business. And like, and then obviously my son comes home from nursery, daughter comes home from childminder, missus comes home from work. Like it's really hard to, to commit to training in the evenings or afternoons yeah. um, when I've got all that going on. The easiest thing to do would be to train first thing. However, that would then not help me in a calorie deficit. So there's all these all these variables that come into it that have to weigh up and it's like, right, well, I just need to be disciplined with it. I just need to lean on my standards. Like for me, I train a minimum four times a week. so prioritize the four days i'm going to train goes in the schedule non-negotiable this is when i'm going to the gym and nothing can throw that off in a gold in a gold uh gold case scenario i would train first thing in the morning come back have breakfast shower start my day like that's that's what works for me um in any other given moment other than when i'm in a calorie deficit so a lot of people will be like oh yeah but my missus i'm guessing you need to be good on good on your communication with your partner yeah like 100 yeah, yeah. you yeah. know because Especially if you've got kids, like just say, look, this is the score, and I feel like communi- communication is the key for that one. Yeah, but again, like it's so when I talk about sacrifices, like I think they're just massively underrated. Like nobody talks about them enough. Like when it comes to committing to something, because plum, no one wants to sacrifice, mate, do they? No, they no want the social. Everything. They want the social life. Like pick their kids up from school, drop them. Like do you know what I mean? Drop them off. It don't work like yeah, that. Like yeah. it really doesn't. Yeah. And that's and that's why because it's not a good sell as well. Like, no one wants to buy a plan that says, right, you're going to need to sacrifice X, Y, and Z, and it's going to be really hard. Yeah. People want a plan where, oh, it's six weeks, and you're going to look like this. Yeah. But you're also going to be on the fucking wind stroll buddies. Like, <laughs> it's true, though, isn't it? Yeah. I, I, and to be honest, like, that's why I moved away from, like, the that caliber of person, because it's yeah. just not aligned with how I think yeah. and how I coach. So there, there's people out there that are excellent at, at working with, general population that uh, couch to 5Ks or drop a dress size, drop a mm. jean size, whatever. There's people that are superb at that um, and doing it in a in a way that fits in with the lifestyle. That's not me. Yeah. And and it took me a while to learn that. Like I tried doing everything. I thought I'd coach everyone. And then I, I, I quickly learned the people that fulfill me the most. And it's those that are striving for like these, these bigger, like more audacious, challenging goals. And requires a level of commitment and work ethic and sacrifice in order to achieve so yeah so like i think when it comes to the conversations communications with the other half it's like well what do i need to sacrifice okay well if you want to read your kids a story at night and the kids go to bed at seven o'clock like six to eight is blocked out as your family time like cool like it's the missus not happy with that yep cool so then your training time goes around that like do you train at 8 p.m do you train like maybe you go to a 24-hour gym you train at 10 p.m once the missus yeah, goes yeah. to bed like there's there's ways around everything it's just 
what you're willing to commit to and sacrifice. And I have this conversation, you know, why are you training at like 10 o'clock at night? I said, perfect example, I went out the other day and you know, my mate was like, messaged me, uh, me on Instagram, she's like, oh, you had to go for a run at half 10. And I finished at like, I don't know, 20 to 12. I said, no, of course I didn't have to. Mm. But for me, no one else is going to do it for me. If you're like paying for a program, it's that accountability. Yeah. I don't want, I don't want people to think I'm weak. Yeah, you know, and that I'm just going to chin chin train off. If if I, it's normally my bad admin if I'm training that late at night because no kids mm-hmm. don't live with a missus. Like pretty cushy job. You, you just need to go out there and sort of get it done. Yeah, you can always look for an excuse to why not to do something, and that's my big thing as well. I like yeah. why don't we ask ourselves how can it be done? Yeah, that's something I like. Talk to me about Dennis McCann as well, mate, because that's something I'm interested in. How did this come about? Because it's cool, mate. It's very cool. Yeah, like it's, it's really similar to the football story, um, and, and, and I guess this is a uh, this is a testament to having a good network. Like, yeah. um, so another boxer I used to coach, Jack Eubank, who I actually went to school with, uh, one a really good friend of mine. Are you still coaching him? No, no, so, no. So, so yeah, no. Jack's Jack's not fighting anymore. Okay, um, but he's he's good friends with Dennis, and Dennis was travelling a long way. To, to train his strength conditioning um it was putting a lot of like it was putting in a lot of mileage in the car which wasn't conducive to recovery just like when we talk about being like an optimal performer what he was doing wasn't aligned with that but he was like well i've got nothing else there's no one else around that i can do this with and jack was like well, i need to speak to louis and he's like who's, who's that um did, connect, connected us both everyone calls you louis don't they out yeah. don't know yeah <laughs> uh, we're saying that no like my my, my best civvy powers call me plum yeah um like the, like the three lads that i'm closest to like a handful do yeah most people most people call me louis because yeah. it's also now as a civvy it's a weird thing to introduce yourself as plum yeah yeah like hi i'm plum yeah it's just like it's just weird um so yeah it's just, I, I don't care it doesn't phase me um so yeah so jack said that to dennis and then connected connected us give his give him my number got a message from him met for a coffee much like the the Dawkins story we we spoke and he's like yeah like what you got to say um let's do it yeah was that just with you and him or you yeah, him and his like his boxing no, coach just, no? just me and him um that's a good point actually so then I said to him I, I want to meet your boxing trainer so I can make sure the program's in alignment yeah. with what you need um another cool story about Dennis I said to him what do you perceive as your weakness? What's the thing that you feel we need to work on the most? And he looked at me and shrugged him and went, I don't have a weakness. <laughs> and, I was just like, yeah. and, and it was true. Like yeah. when we tested him and it, like, it doesn't. So it just meant that like we could just, just raise the bar. But it was just it was just so class because it was so it was so like poor and honest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then when I met so then I went and met his boxing trainer and I said the same Who's thing. Who's his trainer? Uh Al Smith, he's called great guy. Um so he's under Frank Warren, but Al Smith's his trainer. Yeah. Um, so, so anyone that doesn't know, like Frank Warren's a boxing promoter. Yeah. So yeah. you have got Eddie Hearn and Frank Warren. Yeah. Who are like run the two kind of like in like, Britain, and then you have got like yeah. other people. Um, Don King, he's like American. Other famous boxing promoters. Yeah. Um. So yeah. So then I went and met Al. Went to the iBox gym. Um. And what was interesting there was again like where I don't have this strength conditioning background through university and U- yeah. UKSC and all that stuff. Um, and I just, I'm kind of just writing my own script like I had really no one to learn from I was just doing things how I felt like it should be done and it turns out it's not how things are done yeah. but it stood me in good stead luckily so when I met Al and uh, 
he said like you know what i really appreciate you coming up here most strength conditioning coaches just think they know it all um and they don't care what i have to say they've never once like spoke to me about the plan and they've just done things and then i get dennis in tired when he's got sparring that day um and he said but you you've come in and like, you've rectified that on day one and i was just like it, to me it just felt like the right thing to Matt, do. i was gonna say that you know what's the ultimate goal sense. boxing like boxing, like he's not he's not training to be good at strength conditioning. He's no. Training to be good at boxing. Yeah. So like, if I'm then battering him, so then his boxing suboptimal. Then yeah. I'm failing him. No, totally. It, it's right. just, it just. But like, that seemed that would seem normal yeah, to me. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But um, apparently it's not because like yeah, Mark said the same thing. Like I was like I've heard it multiple times now that there's clearly a trend that it's not the norm. Um, so. Yeah. So we spoke about that, and I said to Al like, so. What what do you think I need to work on with Dennis? Like, what's his weakness? And he, he pulled the same face and went, he ain't got one. <laughs> and I was just like, that's what he said to me. And he yeah. went, yeah, no, he hasn't. And I was like, okay, cool. Like, so then this is just like, there's nothing we're trying to fix here. We're just actually just trying to grow and develop, which is which is class. Oh, mate. So here's a like hot tip for anyone listening. Dennis McCann, world champion. Mm. Who says you don't get anything from listening to this, Bob? <laughs> mate, I want to, um, I've got to sort of put you on the spot a little bit, right? So yeah. obviously... You were strength conditioning coach for Dorkin. They won promotion. Yep. Obviously, you've seen Dennis win a few fights now. Yep. When win a title, won a title as well. Or? He's, he's got two titles. Um, yeah. And he's yeah. Did he win one? So was he training with you when he won one of them? Yeah, both of them. Okay, so yeah, what on, what gave you more enjoyment? Uh, no, I, they're probably the same amount of enjoyment, but just like, what is that feeling like? Um. Yeah, so the the promotion final for Dorkin, the the nature of that. So so right now I'd say the promotion final for Dorkin is They won in the playoffs. Yeah. 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 Probably the highlight of my strength conditioning coaching career since being out. Um Dennis there's some big things to come for yeah. him. Like on the horizon, like his trajectory is insane. And no doubt, um, if I managed to get out to Vegas or something like that yeah. with him, like they'll be hard to beat. But, yeah. but right now, the playoff final. Um, quick story: two one behind. Mate, we got time. It don't have to be quick. Right, yeah, but it's two 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 one behind against Ebbsfleet. Oh, scenes! I can see uh, it already, yeah, mate. Honestly, they scored in like I think it was the ninety first minute. They it was one all. They scored in the ninety first minute to make it two one. A fan flared the pitch. Uh, so it, it was six, it was six minutes uh, added time. They scored ninety one. Fan fled the pitch, set the pitch on fire because it's artificial grass. Yeah. Bit on fire, so play stopped, which gave an additional five minutes. So we had now had eleven minutes, and we scored in uh, ninety plus ten to make it two all. Um, literally like five seconds later, the whistle went. Yeah. Oh. And then into extra time, and then we scored to beat them three two in extra time, and like. Just the, the 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 emotions involved. In yeah, that, yeah. No, I can just, just like mental. Yeah, mental. I suppose maybe the, a bit of the problem with Dennis is because he's pretty much steamrolled. He's, he's yeah. good in it. Like he's yeah. he's steamrolled. So there hasn't been that like jeopardy, you know. Yeah, yeah. Yet. When, when yeah. And Touchwood, there isn't too much jeopardy for your poor art or or no. Dennis. No, but yeah. That, further down the line, when when because his 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 career is going to the moon, the way he's going. And like I said, like for me, 
anyone could do what I do there. I'm, yeah. just, I'm just bit to be the lucky facilitator. One. Yeah, I'm just the lucky one that lives near him. Yeah, like, you know, because like, anyone in my position that like half decent, half decent. Well, well obviously not, mate, because apparently you're doing something completely different. Yeah, yeah. Well, from a yeah, from a logistical point of view, by by like communicating with the whole team. Yeah, yeah. yeah maybe. Um, but ultimately, like he chose to work with me because I lived near him. You know, otherwise he'd still be in Essex. Um, but yeah, so uh, like, uh, there's nothing I'm doing there that's groundbreaking. It's just him that unfortunate. Same as Dawkins, like the players are the players. I'm just keeping them fit. I'm yeah. just, I'm just like taking the warm ups and managing their load, managing their performance, aiding their recovery. Because like, a, a, a phrase I heard is a an athlete's best ability is their availability. So anytime you're out, anytime you're injured or overtrained, you're no good to anyone. So my job is just to keep them available. Like just give the manager a selection headache. The more players he's got available, the bigger headache he's got. That's yeah, a yeah. good problem to have. So, th- so that's that's all like, kind of my part is there. We've spoke about uh, Dorking and Dennis, mm. right? So your new business venture, which yeah. is your majority time taker. Yeah. T- talk us through this. Because I know this is something we've spoke about, you're very passionate about. Yeah. I like it as well. So this is my online coaching business. Um, and I've just got, I just know that there's a massive gap in the high performance world. So when I when I say high performance, we're talking strength conditioning, so your training, your mindset, your lifestyle, your habits, your nutrition. It's literally everything that facilitates getting a result. And often the byproduct of, of training for high performance is everything in your life improves because you just become a better person. Um, but my role inside of that is to help people achieve a physical accomplishment alongside improving in other areas of their life as a byproduct. So it's not training for body composition. That's, again, a nice byproduct is is looking better for the thing you're training for. But most importantly, it's about like, I, I, like I, I call it a big scary goal, having a big scary goal, setting it, chasing it, um, and then achieving it, and yeah. then not stopping there, setting the next one, and just this never-ending cycle. Got to be goal-driven, mate. It's never-ending cycle. Yeah, so I, so I, I, I've got this, people always talk about the process, um, and I'm a, like a massive fan of being process-driven. Like, I'm not, I'm not against that at all. Um, however, the outcome has to be something that fires you up. Like, imagine you rowing across the Atlantic. Like, the outcome's to get to the other side. Yeah. Like, the process is obviously every single stroke. Yeah, like yeah. Every every stroke you're doing, like, that's the part of the process and staying on top of your food, your sleep and your safety. Um, so you obviously have to be, like, that has to be a part of it. You're focused on that. But it's getting to the other side that's driving yeah, that. Yeah, to me, it was, like, that process is a byproduct, yeah. if that makes sense. Like, yeah. I, like, wow, what amazing, like, to see all that wildlife, you know, the sunsets, mm. you know, to have that time by myself to reflect. But the goal was to become the first person to row from mainland Europe to mainland North America. Yeah. And it's easy now because I was successful, you know, I've got the record and, you know, it's all good. Mm. So I can be like that. But at the end of the day, that is why I set out and yeah. it's what I achieved. So, you know, of course I'm buzzing. Yeah. Uh, but the, And like, I think motivation has to come into this conversation because we have our, our motivators internally and externally. Like the external motivation there, I guess for you was like being the first person to do it, like externally being recognised. Yeah. But internally, I bet you had that desire to be, to feel significant. Yeah. And especially like, you know, we talk about some military careers, like you were lucky enough to go on operational mm-hmm. tours. I wasn't, mm-hmm. you know, 
I don't know, be careful what you wish for, especially now, like, with what happens in Afghanistan, like, it really does seem pointless. Yeah. But the way I explain people is, I feel like, you know, 11 years in the military, you know, I'd I'd gone to train and never played a match. Yeah. That's how I felt. Yeah. And then, you know, I was unsuccessful. I got stand-up at the end of selection. Yeah. You know, so I felt, internally, I definitely felt like that nearly man, and I needed, I needed some high some high stakes environment to prove myself mm-hmm. that I wasn't that nearly to that I was, you know, the guy that lives that life that not only talks a talk, but can walk the walk, you know, so that's, that's a big reason why I did the road. That, that really, that is the big reason. And, yeah. and another byproduct was raising the money for charity and, and I did do it in my room with my granddad. I'm so proud of that. I'm so thankful. But to me, that's not my, I don't see that as my achievement because I see that as everyone else's achievement because yeah. they were the ones that put their hands in the pockets, yeah. mate. Like I was the guy, just the guy that, and I said I just woke up, I just went to work to every day for 111 days. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that was that. It was that internal motivation that I didn't want to be that nearly man. I wanted, you know, I wanted to prove myself, and I felt, yeah. and I felt like I, you know, I did. And it, and it's but it's from an outcome, right? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, and it, yeah. That's the reason I picked that goal. You know, mm. I, you know, I didn't pick. Um, you, not that I'm taking anything away from the Talisker because the Talisker is an amazing race. And to win it is, you know, is is bloody hard. You know, yeah. ask any of the winners. I just wanted something where I had no equals. So, if that yeah, makes sense. Well, is the talisker too normal? Almost, yeah. Well, do you know? Do you know why I didn't do it, mate? It's because one of, um, and I won't won't name names. Uh, one of the squadron boys was like, "Talisker, oh yeah, is that not that race that old boy did?" <laughs> and I was like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah." Frank, Frank Oswell, you know, bit of a beast. You know, yeah, he was 72, I suppose. And like, you know, my background, you know, my like, commando, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I'm, I'm, you know, in my prime, fine edge male, like, I don't want to be, oh, I just did the race that old geezer did. <laughs> but then you could also say, you know, I, I bottled it a little bit because, you know, if I, if you don't win it and you are this commando, you sell yourself this, you know, commando guy and you don't win it, you, you know, what, like, you know, what have you done? Yeah, you know, so I, in a sense, I did bottle it, but then also I just felt I just wanted that something that no one had ever done before, and then you know, no one can say, "Oh, is that?" Well, no, because no one else has done it yet. Yeah, you know, so so like it's to get a little bit deep. It, it's ego and insecurity driven, right? Like yeah, yeah, we're feeding our ego and we're feeding our insecurities. Yeah, like we're making ourselves feel better about our previous failures. Yeah, no, a hundred percent. You know, and hit the nail on the head, mate. I don't even know what to say, <laughs> like because you've just said it. Yeah, but yeah, you know, but I learn. You know, so you learn more. You learn on your failures, don't you? Yeah, you know, when I, like it's only, a, sorry, it's only a fa- it's only a failure if you don't learn something from it. Mm-hmm. You know, and it took me a long time, but ultimately, the way I always say it in my head is, you know, I didn't rap. Yeah. You know, I didn't quit when the going got tough. I was still there. People always talk about their strengths, and I honestly think I've got a bulletproof mindset. Like you said, I always mm-hmm. I always back myself, and like I think I could, you know, beat Dennis in a fight. I know I couldn't. <laughs> he'd, he'd throw me around the ring like an <laughs> like a wet paper bag, for God's sake. <laughs> but you know, I would I would back myself. You know, and yeah. like you've got you know. Honestly, and like like I said to you, when people are like, oh, you got an ocean ride, I said, doesn't matter, I'll be fine. Yeah, you know, I'm never gonna quit. Like I'd rather, and it, and it's pretty dark. And my mum hates it when I say this, but I always said, I said I would rather died out there than failed. Yeah, because having tasted that pill before. Yeah, like it yeah. sucks, mate. Like I like anything. Like failure is horrible. Like I remember, my, I bet my mum a few years ago on Christmas Day that I could do a like five thousand piece puzzle in like an hour. <laughs> failed miserably yeah. and I was still like I was there like do you want me to the bit range she was like time's up now Jack there's your tenner <laughs> I'm going to have another turkey sandwich um, but yeah. yeah no like you've got to be I, I'm a big believer in goal driven 
Hang on, whose podcast is this? Am I interviewing you or interviewing me? <laughs> yeah, so go on, tell, about the business, so. My goal is to, to create a community of, of people that are basically the squadron mentality. So, like, I, I left the military, I've left the squadron. I'm involved in, in the football team where I get that great culture, I get, get that great environment. But I also feel like more people need and should be involved in a high-performance environment. And it's not something you can easily find or get hold of. No. And so I was like, I'm just going to create it. Like, I'm just going to create one. I'm going to find those people, similar mindset, similar kind of values and ethos, different goals, and then I'm just going to like, I'm just going to get them all together, and then everyone will just elevate their standards. Um, and yeah, like so, this this was saying before, it's like the eighth iteration of the business, the where I've kind of like tried stuff, failed or succeeded, and then adapted and then moved on. And it's like, right, well, yeah, that was good, but it still didn't scratch the itch of what I want. And it's knowing that every time I, I kind of reach an area, I'm like, well, yeah, I'm, I'm capable of more than this. It's like, well, what does more than this look like? And I'm like, well, let's just try. So then it's like just constantly iterating and trying and, and just like raising the bar of what I think is possible from a business standpoint. And then just working out, figuring out how to create it and make it reality. Um... And then just getting to that point where it just, like, the, it's, it can then just have that growth where everyone wants to be a part of it. Like, yeah. it, it's a club that people want to be in, but to be in it is, is still quite, it's like the squadron, it's exclusive. Like, yeah. um, people might talk bad about it when they see you cutting around with your green lid and, and, and all the rest of it. But they want to be a part of it. But they want to be a part of it. Like, so, I don't know if, it probably not when you were there. So, uh, we always, in the engineers, you have to go back to a place called Chatham to do trade course. And all the commandos and paros used to sit together. Yeah. And I remember looking at that, and people people used to go, "Why are they doing that?" Yeah. Like, Look at them; they're knobheads. And I'd keep quiet, and I'd go, "I want to sit there." Yeah. I've always thought it was class. Yeah, I did. Like, like it's all the little things, isn't it? Like cutting your sleeves yeah. off. And I want to sit. There. I want to be part of that like, crew because I wanted to push myself. I wanted to be better. Yeah. You know, I wasn't yeah. happy with being average. And again, like it was uh, like the outcome of achieving the green lid. It's just the start of it, really. Like you, you do it, you work, you join the club, and then all of a sudden you're at the bottom, and then you got. Oh, you are at again. the bottom. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, it's just never ending, isn't it? Yeah. And, yeah. Then, and then until you get to that point where it's like, well, what does growth look like now? Like, where do I go from here? Yeah. And then for me, that was on the outside. Yeah. No, mate, I totally agree. Right. So that doesn't conclude the pod. I got one final question for you, Louis. Louis Plum. Um, <laughs> if you could give yourself mm. a young Plum some advice. What would it be, um, and why? Yeah, good question. So, if I was to speak to my younger self, so what we're we talking like twenty years old? Yeah, twenty years old. I'd I'd say like lean into insecurities, like understand why you're insecure about those things. When you look at someone you're jealous of, what like what are you comparing yourself against? Why are you jealous of that attribute, and what insecurity is that highlighting on yourself? And then rather than be jealous, actually be inspired by it because they're doing something you want to do and you're just in denial about it. So I'd say like, yeah, so lean into your insecurities, lean into your jealousy, lean into whatever it is you're comparing yourself against, find inspiration from it and then use that to internally make you better because I just don't see, I just don't see any need to like slag, us, slag others off, put other people down because it always is a reflection back on yourself. No, 100%. You and know. I think the earlier you can learn that, the more like 
joy and fulfillment you'll have in your life because you won't just constantly be looking for flaws in everyone else because you're scared of the flaws in yourself yeah no i totally agree and it's been nasty yeah right to someone like you and even like so say it's behind their back this is the big one they don't know you're doing that no so it's it's not affecting them so it is literally just affecting yeah. you like it's the yeah. most ridiculous thing and Louis, I think that is a good place to finish the pod, especially with all, you know, the online hate, trolls and that. Mm. Um, mate, thank you so much for coming on. Right. Really appreciate it. I know you're very busy, guys. You actually came to me, so I really do, <laughs> really do appreciate it. Okay, so that's the end of the episode today, guys. If you enjoyed it, please could you follow, give it a like, subscribe, all that good stuff as it really helps grow the podcast. Thank you for listening. And that is all.